Welcome, everybody, to the Slowfish Podcast. Uh, I am Eric Wynn, along with our uh, extended host, uh, Ryan Heisler. Uh, this is episode 11, um, depending on who you're asking, but it's uh, episode 11. Yeah, I mean, we could have... We could have gone to 12, but I guess we're just making 11 as loud as we can. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. But we, we have an amazing guest today, Ryan, don't we? Yes, we do. Um, the one, the only, and this is actually the, the rare time where we can go with man, myth, and legend all in one. But we have Sean Conway here joining us. Um, you know, just we're super, super excited to have you on the program. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me from uh, sunny Wales for the first time in a while. <laughs> John, you said it was hot there today. Yeah, it's 25 degrees Celsius, which is probably, what, 90 Fahrenheit, which is really hot. I, <laughs> I, I'm just and I like, can't do that in my head. <laughs> yeah it's probably not even that it's but, probably like 85 or something but it's boiling hot yeah, yeah sean, do, i'm not used to it that's hot so really quickly sean do you guys like have air conditioning in a lot of places or is it like this is so unexpected we rarely if ever yeah yeah it, it so that's a lot yeah, like yeah. new england right yeah Where, I get that. you know it's rare to find places that have ac and then you know with temperatures this summer it's either been 95 degrees or it's been pouring rain All right, yeah. really no in between yeah no i mean mostly it rains a lot if it, it, i mean it does hit 30 35 which is in the high 90s i guess yeah. you know in the summer for about a week but mostly it's it's overcast and, and rainy but um you know as i say if it's not raining it's not training so you know it makes us tougher i think well let's go into a little bit of our uh weekend uh race recap just briefly before we get into the important stuff of the podcast but ryan we had a couple races that went on this weekend that that were up on the website do you want to go ahead and talk about those yeah so i mean as we covered off uh in our weekend wrap up um we had uh first and foremost it was norseman weekend and it was um really kind of shocking that uh we were one of the few endemic media sites to actually put anything up about Norseman. Um and it was really kind of a shame how drowned out it seemed to get just with how busy the weekend calendar was this year, especially with, you know, someone like Sebastian Keenlade deciding in his retirement tour to choose to go and race there. Um, and he finished second, like a really strong performance. Um, speaking of weather and everything else, uh, mother nature really kind of ruled the roost at Norseman this year. Um, no mountaintop finish for anyone, uh, due to all the storms and conditions up top. So they did the quote unquote short finish, um, down in the Valley, but, um, really astounding performances across the board. Um, and the, the thing that I took away from it that Keenlame had mentioned was just how much he wished he had done stuff like that earlier in his career. Um, 
and I think that's something that, you know, in general, we, um, as triathletes, as endurance sports people can really kind of take to heart where we need to do more of that sort of adventure style thing rather than kind of, you know, your traditional sameness that, um, you get out of choosing to race kind of just a, I hate saying a standard Ironman, but you know, like there is a standard, right? You're, you know what you're going to get yourself into with kind of a, a typical Ironman event. Um, that Sean only does. No, no. Sean had plenty of adventure associated with choosing to do that. Technically I've actually never done a triathlon organized one ever not even a sprint that, nothing. that's what i mean yeah, yeah. not done yeah. an man. Yes. <laughs> i've been doing these crazy things and yeah. Like, yeah i do that all day yeah, yeah um and then you know kind of the the bigger you know pro event was the pto us open which you know phenomenal racing jan fredino proving that you know once again don't piss that man off um because you're gonna have a bad time if you do that <laughs> Um, and, you know, we saw kind of Taylor Nib with her performance on the weekend, you know, another relatively dominant, um, showing, uh, the quality of racing that the PTO puts together, like the actual professional event in part, because you're drawing from the top end of their own rankings, um, and yes, take issue with the way that they generate those rankings and, you know, how they determine what gets what for points and everything. But the actual racing itself is really kind of outstanding. Um, yeah, I, I agree. They are 100% achieving what they're trying to do. And that is get the best athletes at the time to show up and race against each other and put it on broadcast. Like. Um, you know, that's like, I feel like the new mission of the PTO. And, and you know, they, unfortunately, they, right, like from a broadcast perspective, the the broadcast itself is not extraordinarily different than any other triathlon broadcast, right? Like that that's the fundamental problem where it's like the racing itself is great, which is going to appeal to a geek like our audience, right? Like the kinds of people, but if you're trying to create more excitement and, um, appeal to kind of a broader sports audience, like it's not enough to have the broadcast, you know, be as, you know, good enough, right? Like it has to be to a higher level and it's just, it's unfortunately not there yet. Okay, but real quick, and I don't want to get on a tangent because we're not here to talk about the PTO, but if you can answer this question in 30 seconds or less, answer it. If not, we'll talk about this another time. What else can they do? It's travel. Like So it is a combination of you probably need um, a more professional set of announcers to start off with, and that's not like knocking anyone who did anything but like it needs more structure they still need more cameras um than what they had on offer because you need to be able to show stuff like jason west moving through the field um 
and you need to have better graphics on screen and a better packaging during the bike, which is kind of like the draggy part of the broadcast. Like yeah. spend the money on the pre-prod stuff, all the hype videos and everything else. Put together packages that you can run during the bike, which will also take some of the lift off of your broadcasters to try and carry the broadcast. Okay. I agree on all those points, except the announcers. I think no matter where you go, I think that they've got some of the best announcers that they're going to have with the history and knowledge base of triathlon. I think Marinda in particular has done an outstanding job across any race that she's done this year. Yeah, she does a phenomenal. I mean, and even Jack Kelly, as much as I cringed at, at, at some of the things that he said, does a really good job. And you're not going to find anybody that knows more about athletes than he does. I thought Jack showed the ability to improve over the course of the two days. I thought his time, like he's not, no, I I mean, I thought he, I thought particularly on the women's day, he did a good job. Um, but more importantly, right? Like the USAT numbers for that combined festival, like that's the most important story coming out of Milwaukee is just how many people were racing age group nationals this year. Yeah. Um, you know, they had the number that they touted was over 6,000 athletes. I thought that doesn't sound quite right. They had more than 6,600 individual registrations. So they had more than 6,600 registrations. They had more than 5,400 unique individuals register for races, which is is still a huge number. It is. um, I don't know why they have to do that. Like, why do they have to feel like they have to fudge the numbers? Like, because they do that with races too. Like USAT is known for that, where they, they just feel like they have to fudge the numbers make it look better than what it is. It's it it's weird. Sean, did you watch any of this stuff just out of curiosity? Or no, do you not care? Yeah. No, I do care a lot. I just I my headspace is nowhere. I you know I I've had I've not had five seconds to sit down and do anything. To be fair, um, so I would have liked yeah. to have been able to catch up. I, my first priority on finishing the one hundred and five was watch the Tour de France, and uh, I managed to. To not get any yes. spoilers, I managed to watch it start to end, and I, I genuinely thought Pogacar had won. I, I was convinced. Shut so, up! Yeah, so I genuinely had no clue who who had won. Um, the only spoiler I did get is that I knew Cav uh, had crashed out, and that was gutting. I was like, "Damn it!" You know, because he's on on route for the yeah. record. Um, so there's that was my my guilty sort of forty five minutes per stage was the highlights, and um. Yeah, yeah. I, that, I watched that last week and uh, got that done, and then it's just been back to real life, changing nappies and doing the school run and yes. things like that. So, yeah, I've not had five seconds to be fair. Yeah, how excited was your wife when you were done? <laughs> well, the, the running joke now is I did 105 uh, full irons, and now I'm doing 105 days of ironing. So I, she's got me fully fully working around the house and deservedly so i mean she's solo parented for three and a half months and we've got a four-year-old and a 22 month old so it's it's full on and she's self-employed as well so not only was she had to sort of do her own work she was yeah 
looking after the kids um, solos. And uh, yeah, so I owe her a lot, really. I think we need to have her on the podcast. I think at the end of the day, she's the real hero here. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, yeah. just- I mean we, we were thinking she might see if she could do Iron 106 next year. She was like, right, that's it. I'm, I'm going to leave you with the kids for three and a half months. See how you like it. <laughs> yeah. But Sean- Eric, this, that kind of goes to the conversation we had last week about, you know, how hard on race day, right? Like spectating and your support system has and working an event. And, you know, she had it. 105 days in a row yeah absolutely um, yeah i mean i'm doing an olympic distance triathlon this this weekend and my wife's coming out to to watch and i'm a little nervous that it's going to be too much for her, where yeah. she's going to be like yeah it's you know because i haven't raced since we've been married so you know it's, it's tough you know um and, and, and sean what is your wife's name Caroline yeah so Caroline was is my rock and I I I won the life the the life lottery the wife lottery as well with her and um yeah couldn't have done it without her and and, you know even before I started this you know I said right if if it's too much I won't do it I'll find something else to do but she knew how much I wanted it because it was the fourth category of world record I didn't have and it's the one I needed to to get the sort of the grand slam the all four um, then the four being a world's first, a world's furthest or longest, a world's fastest, and then the most of something. And I had a, a record in the other three, and I just needed that this one. So, uh, yeah, so she knew how important it was. So she was super supportive from from day one. Other than the first conversation was like, "Don't be an idiot. That's impossible." <laughs> yeah. But after yeah. that, and like, yet oh, it's totally possible. I, I definitely can do it. And um, yeah, then she was on board. You know. Well, Caroline, from us and Slow Twitch and the rest of the community, we salute you. Hats off. Thank you for supporting this man. Yeah, no, I'll tell her that. Thank you very much. So so you've got, you had three. You had three world records and you wanted the fourth. Yeah. But like, talk talk to us in the audience a little bit about why, what inspired you, you know, because, you know, because James Lawrence did it. And, you know, I, I, I remember, um, you know, one of your posts was, was giving, you know, um, you know, props to him about how he inspired you, um, you know, but, but give us a little bit of information about what, what inspired you to do it and, and, and really put, because I know you tried it earlier in the year and, and it didn't go as well. Yeah. Um, and, and that's first when I really started to like notice you as, as a, as an adventurist, um, was when you were trying it again. And I was just like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to watch this, you know? And then I was really bummed when it didn't work out. And then, and then you went and did some other crazy stuff and then you, and then you put your, you know, hat back in the ring and, and you yeah. went for it. So. Yeah. So, I mean, it all started off. So the, the three records I got, I got the third one. So the, the, the first one I got was, I was the first person to swim the length of Britain. There's 900 miles coastal swim. It took me 135 days, and it was the first time I got one of the the three records. I, I actually didn't realize there was a fourth category until after I'd done these three. So the the three, I called them the three Fs, the so first, furthest, and fastest. So I got the world's first in 2013. I then got the world's furthest, where I did the world's longest continuous triathlon. 
Uh, so the record was 3,500 miles um, by, I believe, a woman in Mexico. And then I did a 4,200 mile um, continuous and I did it fully self-supported. So even the swim, I had to swim with a raft, which I had all my kit in. So I had my casual clothes, my tent, my sleeping bag. And it was also a coastal swim. So I'd swim along the coast, go to shore, camp up in a bush, go back out the next day and just kind of leapfrog. And that was a 120 mile swim of the 4,200 miles continuous, which because my bike, bike leg was a bit shorter, it was almost a, a, um, a quad decker continuous, which no one had ever done before, but technically it was a triple decker continuous really, because it was 3,500 on the bike, 820 run, 120 swim. So that was the second one. Then the third one was the fastest record, which I, attempted again that one took me two attempts so it was the fastest to cycle across europe and a europe according to guinness was the edge of portugal to the ural mountains in russia where russia because half of russia is europe and the other half's asian um and they th- there's a town called ufa uh so that was four thousand miles i did that in 25 days 24 days and some change so this was 2018 i'd got that record and then i was like oh man blimmin'. Done all three now. What, what am I going to do next? And um, it was sort of like in my head, it would take me my a lifetime to get all three. But so I got all three by the time I was thirty eight or whatever I was then thirty seven. Um, and then I'd obviously heard about James doing his fifty and fifty states, and I thought of potentially doing a hundred back in twenty eighteen. So I lived in a place called the Lake District in in England, uh, and I'd came up with the route I was going to swim in the lake and then cycle down to the flat areas in the south and then come back to, to Coniston and then run up and down the side of the lake twice and that would give me the marathon I mean I now know it would have been a terrible route and it wouldn't have worked but I you know I only know what I know now because of what I've done but at the time I thought I could make it work um but then you know I got married I had some kids and then COVID came and I sort of parked the idea and there was also another idea I was going to do uh, which again, COVID killed that idea. And uh, I kept postponing that one and postponing it. And then eventually come uh, late 2021, that's right. I thought, right, I'm just going to park the other idea for years now. Let me revisit some of my other ideas. And I got my little black book of of, of silly things to do. And and it just jumped at me again. I was like, oh man, this this has my name written all over it, looking at my CV. Plus, I then discovered, oh, actually, it's also a fourth category because I couldn't put it in one of the three Fs, which is the most of something. And then I was like, right, well, this is this is it. So it was December 2021. Uh, and I, I'm very impatient and to my fault. And it's partly the reason I failed the first time, because the latest I could do it in the UK with weather was probably July, um, middle of July. <laughs> so I gave myself as much training window as possible and attempted it. I think I started around the 12th of July, somewhere there. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I, I came off the bike on day five on that one and, and my left leg stayed clipped into the pedal and just gave me a some sort of severe tendonitis, um, which eventually made me miss the cutoffs. I just, I just had no pace anymore. It was excruciating pain. And it was so early on. I think had I been on day 80, people always say, oh, what, you know, what if happened, that happened on day 80? I probably would have just completely immobilized the leg and just walked, you know, power walked. Um, 
but for it to happen so early on just wasn't you know I, I just i didn't make the cutoff so it was game over and once once you don't make the cutoff that's it really right so you kind of two follow-up questions off of that so first you know you talk about your little black book of ideas right like where did that come from like what inspired you what kind of drove you to come up with some of those ideas so for me there's it's got to be a, a chase so i I've, I've sort of explained this in the past to people um that i've i've got two distinct characteristics in myself and one is i'm a monkey uh, and the other one is a terrier. I, I need two animals. And I love being a monkey when I'm a monkey. I like to break things, try new things, learn new things. I have a million hobbies the whole time. You know, when I'm doing a project, you know, it, or even little things like when I'm doing DIY in the house, you know, most people would go, right, I'm painting the room today. And then they'll paint the whole room and get it all finished. Whereas I'll paint a wall and then I'll be like, no, I'm bored of painting that wall. I'll, I'll paint the, another wall tomorrow, but I want to do the skirting now. I want to fix the lamp, <laughs> the light shade. Um, that drives my wife, you know, insane, really. Um, but then I, I get frustrated if I don't have something to chase and the terrier needs something to chase. And I've discovered that I just need these big, long, really long things that take weeks and weeks and months and months to do. And I, it satisfies the terrier in me the most when I ha <clears throat> have all those things to chase. And And I'm a better person. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. Uh, I feel better because I eat better. I'm healthier. I'm fitter. You know, it's just the whole package that comes with me chasing something that seems really far out of my reach um, and really difficult. Just, I, it's my oxygen now. I, I sort of, it's easier for me to do it than not to do it, if you know what I mean. And uh, yeah, it's, it took a while to work that out. And yes, it's miserable and horrible while I'm doing it, but it's still better than trying to sort of lead a normal life as it were because that depresses me a lot <laughs> and you know it's interesting you say that because ken rideout when we had him on the podcast said pretty much the same thing in terms of like what what drives him in terms of training and getting stuff done and he's like i need that time i need to do these things because it makes me a better person it makes me a better partner husband you know father like it just it it satisfies something and it just, it makes you a better person. Um, and so it's just, it's interesting to hear you mention that similarly, right? Um, the other thing that I think you were mentioning, right. About how like on day five, you know, the leg problem and had it been further into kind of the challenge, you would have done something differently. Um, one of the things that came up on our forum when talking about kind of your most recent uh, run through is this idea that like people will actually get stronger as they go through these because, you know, there's just that different wiring in a true ultra athlete where you're actually able to still recover on a daily basis and improve throughout the attempt. Yeah. Uh, if you if you do everything right, then that is a possibility, and that's the goal. The goal <laughs> is to to sort of tick every single box, and there's ten boxes, right? So there's ten pillars of endurance. One is planning, uh, one is experience, one is health. Then there's food, hydration, muscle management, uh, sleep, 
motivation. Um, there's one I'm missing out. Uh, right, where are we? Planning, <laughs> planning experience, uh, health, food, water, sleep, muscle management, motivation, uh, experience. I say experience and community. Those are the ten. Now, if you tick all of those boxes every single day, you will pretty much get to a point where you'll have enough recovery time to repeat it the following day. Now, if you don't, and you could be down on one or two of them, you land up on the back of the wave. And that was happening to me on the first attempt where, because I didn't pull the plug on day five, I did another two days, I did six and seven. But because <laughs> the muscle management was out, and maybe my nutrition was a bit out, and you know, I just didn't quite tick all those boxes, I was on the back of the wave and then could never recover enough to do a decent enough time. And, and that was what I've really focused on on this attempt was to get fit enough and fast enough and tick all those boxes of, of, of you know, every single one that I was able to do a quick enough time to be able to sleep the eight hours. And for me, that was the dream, the goal. So that almost the one thing I focused on the most was trying to get eight hours sleep. And it, it happened sort of around day 20, I guess. I think I need to go back and look at my notes. But it was somewhere around there where I started to get eight hours sleep. And the main reason I did that is I started to, I got rid of my physio, my daily physio. So I was doing daily physio for the first four weeks or so. Um, and I realized that was just, I was losing an hour of potential sleep just in physio time. So I made the sort of the bold move to get rid of daily physio and only have a weekly physio on a Sunday. And immediately I felt amazing. That extra hour sleep was just a game changer. And actually I felt I woke up in a better place than having the physio that I didn't need. There was times where I needed physio, absolutely, and I couldn't yeah. have survived the first week without Simon because there was some weaknesses and some tightnesses that would have potentially lent to tendonitis or a potential stress fracture and things like that. But um, but once you know, you get to a point where you actually don't need it, need it. And your body is really good at recovering, and and you know, if you look at Christian and Gustav. They don't do any physio. They don't do any any massage, no ice baths, no sauna, nothing. They just sleep twice a day. Um, and for me, that was one of the big priorities is, is, was the sleep thing. But you're right. You do you get stronger and stronger and more robust. You may not get fitter. You may not get faster. But you, you get to a point where as long as you're not going harder and harder and harder, if you're keeping the same tempo, you almost get to a point where getting injured becomes way really highly unlikely you know it's that yeah. first two weeks where's the danger period really so you have a toddler at home how the hell did you get eight hours of sleep <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, yeah well we, I, we joke now i was getting more sleep during during i'm 105 than i am now um i was in the back room and uh i would uh yeah, lock the door, earplugs, eye mask, and just I'd fall asleep instantly, pretty much. Yeah, so I was yeah pretty lucky there. <laughs> they may have been trying to get in, I don't know, but I had the door locked. <laughs> oh no, my daughter had a sleep regression at that age, and it was just like if I slept four hours a night, I'd be an absolute dream. So I just unbelievable, right? Yeah. Like, but I mean, sleep is the absolute key. Right. When I'm coaching athletes, like the big thing that I wind up doing is, you know, if something is 
super planned and structured. I'll I'll say as much, but you know, I'll give optional workouts, but the note will be if you got less than X amount of sleep per night, which changes based on whomever it is, like don't do the workout. Like you need to rest and you need to recover. And that's such a key discipline that I think people lose sight of. It's over like it's really emphasized when you're doing something like you did right? Where it is absolutely the key to be able to wake up and do the next day. Um, But I think a lot of quote unquote average endurance athletes really lose sight of like sleep is king. Yeah. Yeah. It was something that you talked about most too on your, you know, it was, I, I remember on your, your daily posts, it was whether or not you slept good or whether or not you, you didn't sleep good it was that was kind of like this theme that i kept watching and and reading you know it was you were keeping your weight on you would give an update on um you know how the day went and and whether or not you slept good or not yeah, yeah. no it was so huge and, and i fascinating yeah period. and i want to know i want to learn more about your um your 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 food intake like what food you ate during the day and then like what you did as soon as you were done like so let's talk real quick about about food like yeah talk to us about your fueling during the actual day itself yeah i mean i got into a pretty specific routine probably around day 30 even up till then, I was trying loads of different things and seeing what worked. I actually pre-made a hundred blended meals because I find it easier just to drink and then it's it's less digestion on me, right? So I was making spaghetti bolognese and loads of things with loads of different veg and all the, and carbs and uh, sweet potato and rice and just all in this blended thing. But honestly, like by day five, I couldn't stomach it. Oh, I just it tasted so good when I was making it, and then I just got flavor fatigue and. And I never touched them for the another ninety five days. So I've currently got ninety frozen meals in my in my garage that I need to work my way through. Um, so you know, by the end, I, I mean, I, I pretty much ate the identical thing every single day. Uh, it it mainly was around meats, milks, nuts, and fruit. Um, I had very little vegetables, which I regret, but I sort of got into a place where I thought, well, this is sort of working. I don't want to change anything. Um, but I, I wish I'd had more veg, definitely, 100%. I think I would have felt better. But I was sort of still doing okay. My times are still good. Um, I would have grains, though. So first thing I did when I wake up in the morning, I would have a big one liter um, of porridge, quite watery porridge, so I could drink it and cheer with some butter, honey, and salt. And I would, so my alarm went off at 4.29 a.m. I'd be in the car at about 4.39, uh, and get to the pool at about nine minutes to five and be in the water at one minute to five. But So in that period, I would down this liter of, of oats, chia seeds, yeah, butter, honey, and uh, milk and salt. Then in the pool, I would have, I'd then also have a, um, as I arrived at the pool, I'd have a caffeine shot and then that'd make me go straight to the toilet, which is good. So I got my toilet out of the way, uh, before the swim because my bike leg numbers too, like <laughs> nine minutes before, one minute before, like, yeah. it's not... you know, I needed to be, 
if it was vague, I wouldn't take it seriously. Yeah, and and my original alarm was four thirty three, but I found I was getting in the pool at like one minute past five, and that really annoyed me. You know, I just needed to. If I got in at one minute two five, I felt like I'd won the day. You know, uh, even though it really didn't matter the in the end of the day, but still, like psychologically, it was good for me to get in one minute before five. I think the, the I, I got in at like six minutes to five once, and I honestly it was like the best day I'd ever had because <laughs> I got out of the pool and I was on the bike before six thirty. I was like, this is I'm gonna have such a fast day. Um, even though my time was the same at the end, but still, like psychologically, it was a win. Um, so. Yeah, so I had my caffeine shot, and then in the pool, I would have uh, athletic greens, the, you know, the AG1 stuff, um, which I would have it in not too much liquid, probably f- 400 mils of liquid, because by now my stomach is quite full. Why you didn't need vegetables? Well, yeah, probably. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, there, there is a lot in there. I mean, I, they weren't a sponsor or anything. I, I just bought it because I've used it. I've, I hear everyone talking about it. So the one. It really is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're not affiliated with them at all. We wish we could be because it's, it's yeah. a really good prep. Yeah. So I, I did that. And then I would have some fruit on the side of the pool. Uh, I would then mm-hmm. my, I'd, my swim uh, was usually around an hour 20, including I'd often sometimes need the toilet halfway through the swim as well, which was annoying. Um, and then, yeah, around an hour 20 on a good, on an average day. T1 was 10 to 15 minutes. So again, I was really trying to hustle the, the transitions just so that I would buy myself more sleep. Everything was just to buy myself more sleep. Um, and then I'd, on a good day, I was sort of, if I could get on the bike for around 6.30, 6.35, I was pretty happy with that. Then on the bike, I would have loads of little mini cheeses in my sort of bento box and a couple of sort of salami sausages type thing. And a couple of um, just uh, bars, like in it, like um, oat bars and things like that. They varied a little bit. Uh, and the and then in my bottles, I would have some. I'd have two bottles on the bike, and I would replace them at every feed station. So I'd end up having. A, I tried to have about six bottles on the bike, but it was often only around four or five. And then one of the bottles was some electrolytes, and then in another bottle was some carb mix which was about 600 calories or 500 calories in each bottle so i was getting about a thousand calories from there and i would replace those two or three times and then at each feet i had three feed stations on the bike and there i would have religiously a banana a packet of crisps uh, a whole bunch of fruit and then uh, a um rice pudding i don't know if you get that in america rice pudding i don't want to go I would then have, and then every now and again, I'd have a bit of bit of meat as well. Not a lot of meat, but a tiny bit of meat, um, usually with lots of fat, fatty type meat. Um, what else would I have? Some Welsh cakes. Um, I have a yeast intolerance, so I can't have anything, any bread or any baked goods. So, which was yeah. annoying because you know there was quite a lot of things I couldn't eat that I would have wanted to eat. Um, and then I would down just bef- at every feed stop. I'd down probably like 200 mils of full fat cream. And if I did that at every feed stop, it was sort of free calories because that was super high in fat. I would get in a little tub, you know, the size of a, a coffee mug was nearly 2000 calories, you know, and, and sometimes I'd have more. Sometimes I'd have the big tub, which, you know, again, is less than a pint glass. 
and that was 3000 something calories and that was my what i used to call my insurance calories you know if i didn't do enough eating in the day at least i wouldn't waste loads of weight and yeah probably wasn't giving me the best energy and wasn't the best fuel for performance and everything but it, it's the reason it's probably one of the biggest reasons i didn't lose any more weight i lost 3 kgs throughout the whole time and and i lost it almost in a dead straight line a month uh, a, a kg a month so what's that two pounds a month pretty much so i lost yeah. six, six seven pounds over the whole thing which i'm pretty happy with i i expected to lose more but i hoped to lose less that last couple of pounds i would have would have been nice to to not lose because i lost muscle with that one um and then i would finish the bike and then again my bento box would be replaced with cheese mostly um in between each feed station get to the run have some fruit and some more um rice puddings and a banana and a packet of crisps again and then on the run i would mostly just have the calories in the bottles the the carb powder and and the electrolytes and then some plain water as well and then i'd have two um meals which were pasta based and they would vary i'd sort of once i found a flavor i could sort of tolerate i just ate that until i couldn't eat it anymore and then i'd change flavor rather than changing flavor each day uh that seemed to work better for me so i'd have like carbonara for like two weeks and then one day i'd just be like i can't stand carbonara let's yeah. go to spaghetti bolognese so i did spaghetti bolognese for two weeks and then i was like oh let's go back to carbonara and that meant i could keep keep the eating and again it needed to be watery so i could almost like drink it with you know with a fork um and then down the last bit of liquid at the end um again having lots of bananas lots of fruits a bit of cheese um uh so that would take me to the end of the run and then it was annoyingly and this was i just couldn't get away from it i live in the hills so i had to cycle down to the flat area and then run in the flat area and it was a 25 to 30 minute drive back home each night it was annoying but it did it did give me the chance to write that social media update uh every day which was nice i'd get home i would have my evening meal which was just whatever the caroline was cooking for her and the boys um and i'd have that blended mostly because i again struggled to chew whereas if i had whatever it was genuine like anything that i had roast dinner blended you know so that was liquid down it straight into a shower wash all the um my sun cream off me uh then get in a really hot hot bath sort of scalding hot i tried ice baths um during this and i found i just got cold and it interfered with my sleep a little bit because i had that whoa that excitement you get from an ice bath yeah. it was too late in the day to to have that in my in my system really so i i stopped doing the ice bath and just went with a hot bath and a hot bath really fixed me it, it i got out of the hot bath felt amazing was there anything was there anything in the bath did you was there like salt or I had, like or was it just water? yeah so, so i had epsom salts in chunks i'd sort of forget you know i so i'd have a big bag and i'd use it for a week and then i'd run out and then every day i'm like right i need to buy up some salts and then i'd just forget <laughs> you know and then i'd go three <laughs> weeks without it and eventually be like i need to get extra salts so i'd be sitting in the bath on amazon and just buy some epsom salts uh, then i'd have another week and then forget for another three weeks so it was sort of 50 percent of the time i had the epsom salts um i, I don't know if they worked or not I don't, I don't think i was in the bath long enough for the Epsom salts to have worked, if if anything, because you sort of read the label and it's like, oh, 20 minutes. Well, I don't have 20 minutes. So I'm going to sleep. Um, but it definitely yeah. just helped my legs. It got rid of all the, the pain 
uh, before bed because before I was doing the bath because originally in the first week I didn't even shower I came in ate had physio and just fell into bed and thought oh it doesn't matter because when I'm in the pool I'll wash all the salt off or, but it just stayed in my sheets um, the problem with that is that my skin couldn't breathe so I was having real <laughs> bad uh, sweats overnight uh, I had a really high heart rate in that first week my sleeping my average sleeping heart rate I was wearing a whoop to start with um my average sleeping heart rate was 89 overnight you know it was just super high oh, calories, too. Just calories exactly yeah and it, it was just the cortisol levels were high it's that famous mike tyson quote is like everyone has a plan until i punch him in the face you know so and it, that's what it felt like i just got massively smashed in the face i stopped wearing the whoop because every morning i'd wake up and it said my you know, it gives you that recovery percentage. I was, it was like one percent, like every day. It's like I'm basically dead. So I got rid of that. This is like, useful. Yeah, I'm like this is just stressing me out. So, <laughs> so funny you mentioned that because I, you know, I just I did a I, I've I've got this Garmin device that I'm I'm getting ready to put a review out for, and uh, it's got that like you know how many hours you need to recover. And, and I went and did like a, a, a somewhat longer ride for me. And, um, and it was like, you know, you need 70 hours to recover. And all I could think about was like, how annoying would that be for like the guys at the Tour de France to yeah. like see that, right? It's <laughs> just like every single day. Yeah. Well, it's, I was um, getting that on so at, at the end of my swim. Yeah. I mean, on the end of the swim, the Garmin told me I needed like, it wasn't too bad, like 72 hours. And then the end of the bike, it was like, three days and then by the end of the run it was like oh five days whatever i was like well that's not gonna happen really. yeah on a good day yeah i mean on a good day i had 10 hours i think that the most i had between two was 10 and a half hours which which i thought was amazing like i i was super happy with that yeah. you know and i th i think if i hadn't had as I, I originally thought 15 hours would be my bare minimum to get the recovery in but it turns out it was 14. I think the days I did 15 hours, I nearly missed the cutoff on day two because I picked up a knee injury on day one because of a saddle height issue because I just, the new bikes I got had shorter cranks um, and I just totally forgot that I asked for shorter cranks. So I did my saddle height. It was totally off and did my knees in on day one. Um, and I even had a conversation with my wife and said, look, you know, this injury may DNF me on day 20. Should I pull the plug now on day one, recover for four weeks, and then start again fresh rather than potentially still DNFing down the line? And she's like, no, because you'll probably just pick up another injury anyway. So you just soldier on, you idiot. You're in this now. I was like, yes, ma'am. Um, so, and, and she talked sense into me. And my physio is amazing. And we, we, we taped it and strapped it. And I wore knee, basically knee patella straps for the whole thing uh, on the run. And, um, you know, so I, I was 16 hours, 55, I think, on day two. I published all the all the um, times on my website. And uh, and then 16 hours, 45, I think, on day three. So it was really pushing the boundary, really not getting anywhere near enough recovery. But then on the flip side, I really enjoyed the hustle. You know, every day I was like, right, can I be five minutes quicker? And then five minutes quicker. And actually that sort of gave me something to focus towards. And then eventually around whatever day I got stopped doing the physio, um, my times were really good and I was feeling strong and I had no niggles and all, 
you know, I was pretty, everyone says, oh, which one were you the strongest at? I think I was pretty average at all of them. You know, I think my swim time, if you put me in a pack, I'd be middle of the pack. I think the bike, I'd be middle of the pack and the same with the run. Uh, so again, I was happy that I didn't rely on one discipline to get me through the day. I evenly spread my training across all three. And I think that paid dividends in the long run. Um, and, and the fact that I've done a lot of multi-day running, you know, I've, the long, I've done a thousand mile self-supported run before, um, 820 mile self-supported run, a couple of two or 300 mile runs, um, back to back. So day after day or all, all hovering around a marathon a day. So I've never done the sort of the long, long, long stuff. I have done, I've done 90 K I think is my longest, um, on my own, but yeah, so I'm, I'm very, experienced and that's one of the 10 pillars right it's experience in in back to back both swim cycle and run yes i've not granted i hadn't ever sort of done them all on the same day but at least the run one and the run's the one that'll definitely dnf you i was really confident that i could at least survive the run i'm my techniques mint i used a guy called shane benzi which is one of the best running technique coaches in the world goes to kenya and works with all the kenyans um you know, when I, when he filmed me, he was like, you know what, mate, you're, you, you're, a, you stop a little bit with your right foot. So I had all these sensors on. I'd break a little bit too much with my right leg. Um, but other than that, my foot placing's perfect. Um, I don't heel strike. I don't toe strike. I'm not four foot runner. I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, the only thing I could work on is maybe my stride length, to be fair. But, um, my cadence is good. So I was really confident on the run. Um, which was a good place to be because that's the one that really can just throw everything off kilter, you know? Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about the support group. Like who were you responsible for waking yourself up in the morning? Was it, was it your wife? Like who drove you around? Like, cause we just talked about how you had to, you know, for the run, you had to drive 20 minutes down, go to the yeah. run and then drive back. Like, you did all of that stuff because one of the things that I noticed is, is you definitely had a support group, but it wasn't huge. Like it, and, and talking to you and listening to you, it's, you did a lot of this stuff, like just kind of yourself and, um, you know, like you're, you know, it's like, what was your dinner? It's like, whatever my wife and kids were eating, I just <laughs> stuck it in a blender and yeah. you know, got it down. But, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, my, my, sort of day crew was small but they were amazing like they did i really genuinely didn't have to worry about anything and and they were just behind the scenes and they were happy to to sort of be there uh i had basically on a day i had three crew members so the other from my first attempt i soon realized that crewing is hard and you know they're not there's no adrenaline for them there's they're not eating as much as i'm eating that there's you know they're not as fit and because I've trained hard for this. So to expect a crew person to do the same shift as me, the the 4.30 a.m. to the 8.30 at night is just unrealistic. Uh, And that's what I was trying to do on the first attempt. Um, And that just didn't work. So what I did is I split the crew. So I had a morning crew and an afternoon crew. And then a social media guy who was actually my one of my best mates. So Justin, he lives in South Africa. And I, I sort of knew that, I needed someone who loved me personally. The other two just applied for the job. So well, there's actually three because there was two people who split shift the morning crew because they did five days on, five days off. I offered that to the afternoon crew guy, Phil, but he said, no, he's happy to do every single day um, in the afternoon. 
uh, and then Justin would do the full day, but he would only do Monday to Friday. So he'd get the weekends off to just recover and chill and do nothing. So in the mornings, Justin was staying with me uh, in my house in the other spare room. And yeah, I mean, my alarm often didn't wake me up. So he had, <laughs> he had to come in and wake me up and I was sleeping completely naked. So he had some, some oh, there were some awkward experiences where he's like, <laughs> try to touch the bed and make sure it was my leg, you know, <laughs> wake up, Sean. <laughs> so um, once my alarm goes off, he woke me up. Uh, he would then do my porridge as well in the morning. Um, and, and and the other reason I shifted my alarm from 4.33 to 4.29 is it gave me a minute in bed to wake up n- in a non-stressed environment. Because before... When it was 4.33, I would wake up and I'd be like, right, hustle, let's go, 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 into the pool, let's go. And I felt that wasn't a good way to start the day. So by moving it that four minutes, when he woke me up, I would then turn the light on immediately, take my earplugs out, and I'd just lie there and I'd just breathe a little bit. And then I would do a couple of leg over exercises to stretch my lower back. Um, And then I'd wait for the uh, microwave to ping because that's when the porridge was coming out. I would then get out and I'd put on my now famous pajamas that I wore every day into the pool. Um, and I'd go out and I'd do some nerve flossing. So I get really tight nerves just the way it is. So I'd sit and do the nerve flossing on the edge, on the edge of the kitchen table, you know, so you, you know, duck, uh, dip your chin and raise your legs and point your toes towards you and bounce that on each leg. I'd do that for mm-hmm. a couple of minutes. Um, then get my porridge and then hobble down the stairs. Uh, convinced that I, there's no way I could survive the day, but I knew that once I was in the pool, I'd be fine. Um, so then Justin would would take me to the pool. And then at the pool, one of the Chris's, they both randomly were both called Chris, who split the morning shift five days on, five days off. <laughs> they had already arrived at the pool at usually around 4.20 in the morning. We were really lucky. So it was a council, um, a council pool, which is the way the system works in the UK. There's, there's very rarely sort of um privately owned public pools other than in some very expensive gyms so pools in the uk are quite quite rare to find to be fair Uh, but this was a council-run pool which schools get to use and things like that and i was just lucky that both the chris's you uh, did swim coaching um for some kids in the pool so they were happy just to give us keys so they literally just opened up in the morning because normally they're only open up open at 6 a.m for master's sessions monday wednesday friday um, so they gave us keys. So they had t- taken the cover off and put a lane out for me and got all my cycle kit ready and got all the nutrition ready behind the scenes. Like there was a lot of work that the crew did. Like, it was really phenomenal. Yeah. Um, so I would again, get in the pool, do my lengths while that was happening. The Chris, one of the Chris's would get my bike ready, get all my kit ready. Uh, I'd finish the pool, go have a shower, quickly brush my teeth. Um, cause gum health again was super high on my priority. And again, that was part of one of the 10, which is health, uh, gum health, you know, so did that, um, had a quick shower, then got into my cycle kit and everything was ready to go. So my garments were set up, my rear light was working and on and flashing, you know, I genuinely just didn't have to think, uh, the power meter was, was synced up. My, my heart rate monitor was synced up to the, my power meter. So I had three ways of recording each day, um, on the, on the bike, it was a bike computer and my watch. On the run, it was two watches. And then the third one is, is my phone. And then on the swim, I wore two watches and I Instagram lived 
every swim to four people who <laughs> awake the same time as me. Um, and we also time lapsed a couple of times. Yeah, 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 it was uh, it was interesting. I, I was always quite. I'm like, who are these four people who are awake? It was always people in your side of the world, to be fair, or, or somewhere else um, who are awake. And uh, yeah, so I then on the bike, the Chris's and Justin would then go to feed stations. So I had the same feed station. There's three feed stations, but it was all in the same place because my bike leg yeah. was about ten miles down to the beginning of three laps that i would do and there each lap was about i think 30 miles or so um and then i had about a 10 mile back to the run start and then in the middle of that was sort of a figure of eight is where the feed station was which was good from a logistics point of view because if i had a a mechanical anywhere on the lap the furthest point i could have been was 20 minutes from for a crew member to come and because i was running tubeless um i chose not to take any puncture repair or anything we just sort of get the crew to drive to me, swap out a wheel, uh, which happened twice. I only got two punctures in the 12,000 miles or whatever. So, uh, And then also the other good thing is by having a lapped course, people could join me for part of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, they could just come and do one lap in the morning or a couple in the afternoon. Whereas if I had a long out and back, people would have been committed to the full day. So that means right. I had a lot of bike support during this, which was amazing. And then I bet you that a lot mentally too, you know, because yeah. it was just, it, it was, it's essentially, you know, it's five countdowns, right? It's, yeah. it's the, it's the 10 mile out. Okay. Yeah. Done. Yeah. yeah. And it's lap one. Done. Exactly. Two, done. Yeah, exactly. And, and by the end, you know, people say, Oh, didn't you get bored? But actually no, because by the end I knew where every pothole was. I knew where every corner was. And, mm-hmm. and the, the downside is I had 75, potential come to complete stop junctions on the course which is it really was i I mean i had no other choice it was literally on all four sides of this route i did were mountains or hills um and even this bit i had 600 meters of climbing which is still pretty low but it could have been lower you know it would have been nice to be around the 400 but um yeah so there's a lot of slowing down to about five miles an hour pulling out of junctions and all those spikes at junctions really took it out of me because, you know, you're doing 300 watts out of each junction, aren't you? And then it's just, you know, you're poking holes in the bag, aren't you? So, you know, you mentioned all of the different devices that you were wearing and everything else and having a ton of data at your actual fingertips. How much were you actually using that data and how much of it was just like i need to record this because i have to show that i actually did the damn thing yeah so the first priority was just recording it to make sure that you know everything was on strava and everyone can have a look at it and and nitpick and do whatever they want um and i didn't want there to be any buts you know like oh he got the record but he didn't have a heart rate monitor Mm, that's suspicious so i wanted to really just give as much data as possible to everyone and for me but the the two things I looked at the most were eventually my power, my normalized power on the bike. Um, that gave me quite yep. a good indication on how I would fare the following day. And then also my heart rate. So eventually I got to a point where I knew that if I just kept my heart rate below 120, which I pretty much did, um, at even on the on the spike. So spiking at 120, hovering around 110 to 115, then I was going to be good like that was a sustainable sustainable heart rate and then the same with the power yep. um you know pushing anything 
above sort of one one thirty on the power all day average. Um, that meant the following day was much harder because I just didn't get the recovery. So it was better for me to take a fifteen minute hit on time and just be slightly lower power um, to a point. Because then if you go way too low on the right. power, then you're going to be too slow and then you don't get enough sleep. So I got I got to a sweet spot where that also puts yeah. I was going to say that also puts into context that 89 heart rate when you were sleeping, just like how close to what you were trying to do to hold on to. Like, I mean, that's, that's an incredibly high heart rate relative to the effort that you were trying to give while you were out and about. Yeah. Yeah. And that that was, that 89 was only the first week. It it came way down. I mean, it never got to the the 30s or 40s like it normally does now when I sleep. Um, it was probably in the fifties though, because I was still fatigued every day. I was still potentially, right. you know, depends how much I ate um, at the end of the run, which again was always the same thing, but always every day burning slightly more or less calories, uh, depending yeah. on the effort. Because it's you know some days it was windy, and some days I had ten riders with me, some days I had one rider with me, um, or none. You know, so you know, there was always a slightly different output on, on, on power and, and calories each day. And, uh, I just, hope how many that, minutes yeah. do you, oh, I was going to say, how many minutes do you think you gave up with the beard? <laughs> I gained minutes cause I'm Samson. Yeah. <laughs> basically. <Yeah. laughs> um, I think it gives me superpowers though. It's here to stay. My wife's never known me yeah. without a beard. So we and she likes it. So I'm, I, and I'm really baby faced under here. So I, I, I want to look old and haggard. Hi. <laughs> so, so real quick, just to rehash the, the the power. So, so your your goal on the bike was to never really average more than 130 watts. Is that correct? Well, and I know that. I mean, that was the the, the high end, really. So high. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the yeah. goal was sort of around 110 um, watts, uh, okay. which. You know, when I remember looking at James Lawrence's power data, you know, I saw I was like, man, he was doing a five hour 15 with 110 watts. I'm like, how is that possible? Like, did he do, was it a downhill course? You know, um, but no, I mean, that's pretty normal, pretty normal. You know, even uh, did you see Tom Pitcock's power data for one of the stages of the Tour de France? He was doing 40k an hour, averaging 100 watts. So that yeah. became the, um, and, and also looking at James's data, I knew that that was, a sustainable power each day um i it's crazy how much more power is required to get up past you know when you get into like the 20 miles an hour and above and to get into that like 26 7 28 like it's just crazy how much more power you have to you know because of the drag like drag really starts to get into those high speeds so um you know also james had um he had a way bigger entourage than well than you, you, you yeah you talk about like your day and your crew um it's it's impressive how um dedicated your small staff was and the consistency there like mm-hmm. i almost think that the that the consistency to your schedule is is almost as impressive as the feat itself because i mean you were just like a metrodome 
you yeah. know, every single day. And for you to be able to do that for 105 days without having anything happen to you. And it was the same with, with James, you know, it was, it was really at the end of the day, it's, you know, can you physically do this? Probably. Yeah. Can you physically do this and not have something happen to you? That's where the odds are kind of stacked against you, right? Yeah, where absolutely. And, and for you to be able to do that every single day without having some sort of thing, you know, weird thing that like happens, you know, where you trip, you fall, you, you know, whatever you, you know, you, your wheel blows up, whatever it is, you know, it's just those freak things, but like, that's where the odds start to, to play against you. And so it's, um, that, yeah, it's, yeah. And, and, but you know, my experience, I have a new crush here. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. crazy to listen to. Yeah. I mean, about, you did this. Yeah. I mean, I was, I took all that stuff super seriously. I was like, you know, when I go into anything, I'm like, what is going to DNF me? What, what is going to be a showstopper? I yeah. call it. And so one was getting run over on the bike. You know, that was a big one. I was on very, very public roads. I mean, in the 180K, I would say we passed on an average day, oh, three, 400 cars, I would say. You know, at least I think we would get overtaken at least by 100 or 200 cars every single day. Um, so it was a very busy area, you know um still fairly quiet roads no big long roads where you're going to get massive lorries um but it's still people doing the school run you know people going to work and doing this sort of thing so there was a big worry about getting run over uh luckily the the drivers we had about five really close calls but mostly the drivers were incredible and i was really thankful that they were so patient because you know i'd be causing a traffic jam at the same time every morning around Holt. <laughs> so, you know, they were all pretty amazing there. So there was that one. There was having a an injury that would DNF me, of course. Um, having someone crash in front of me, or me crashing, as you say. Uh, luckily, there were no real fast corners, um, or the corners yet, because they were so sharp and tight, and there's hedgerows, so visibility was terrible. You had to really slow down. Um, there was that. There was illness, you know, potentially getting COVID uh, or getting a, another type of illness. Um, there was that that could have stopped me. Another one was family bereavement. And I had those conversations, you know, at what point do I give up if someone in my family, you know, dies? And I eventually came up and it's horrible to have to sort of make this call. But obviously, if it was my boys or my wife, I, I would definitely finish. But I had a chat with my sister and my mom and my dad and and with Caroline's parents who live in the same village as us you know say well you know if if something happens to you what you know what, what do you feel and they're all like you will 100% carry on you know there's no point in you stopping because it's, you know we're gone um but i don't know how i would have felt had that happened so luckily nothing happened on that front and then as you say just be consistent and the crew you know we i just sort of didn't finish about the crew earlier so my my morning crew would finish at the beginning of the of the run leg, um, which is around one o'clock, and then they would go off, and then that's their day done. They had nothing to do with it anymore. They wouldn't hang around. They would go and live their lives, and that was important for me. And then Phil would do the afternoon crewing, so he would follow me on a bicycle uh, for my run course. So he was literally next to me, making me drink stuff whenever I needed to needed to. He was very methodical. He had a, 
uh, he did this amazing spreadsheet with everything I was eating and when I ate it and, and when I went to the toilet and how many times I went to the toilet. Um, and I couldn't have done that without him. He was, he was absolutely incredible. He would then also service the bike and get the bike ready for the two days later. So I had two bikes on rotation, you know, so the bike that I used today would be rested tomorrow and serviced and cleaned and make sure everything was running sweet. And then I would use yesterday's bike the following for tomorrow, basically. And then I had a third bike as a spare backup, which I would then bring in every three days, uh, three weeks. Um, because for example, one of the derailers got bent in the, in the car one day because a box fell over on it. So that was one bike out of the question. So that went to the bike shop and then I had the other two bikes, but imagine I'd had a mechanical on one of those bikes. Then at least I had that third bike as a, as a spare backup. Right. So, you know, again, it was imagine. DNFing because you run out of bikes like that just I couldn't because you know when I went to a sponsor you know a lot of them were like oh yeah well you obviously need two bikes I was like well actually I need three bikes and they were like really like really do you really need three bikes I'm like and then I explained this exact situation you know imagine I have a complete frame break on one of them or it needs to go to the bike shop for a week and then I have a another crash on the second one if I only have two bikes, I've got four bikes. <laughs> so I'd then be using one of my yeah, steel right. frame ones or a hybrid or a mountain bike. I mean, I'm, someone would have given me a bike, of course, but you just don't want to have that stress. So, you know, again, it was just ticking that box on experience and, and planning uh, for that. And then, you know, the other thing I'm good at, good at is, is just monitoring myself and turning up and pushing myself to the exact limit that I feel is sustainable forever. And that just comes with experience. My around the world cycle was 155 days. I think my length of Britain swim was 135 days. My world's longest triathlon was 85 days. So I've got, I've been in this space of a hundred days, you know, quite a few times. Um, and that I think if, you know, being consistent and, and getting to that level where, yes, I maybe could have gone half an hour quicker every single day by stealing five minutes on the swim, probably probably 15 minutes on the run and maybe 10 minutes on the um oh sorry 15 minutes on the bike and 10 minutes on the run but would it have been worth it you know once i got to a point where i was doing 14 hours a day then i didn't really need to hustle more and i could settle on this super sustainable model that i created for myself and and then you know yes I didn't have a DNF injury, but I was still constantly monitoring everything. I had this hip thing, which came from, I have a terrible swim technique from when I swam the length of Britain. Um, and also because I did the cheese rolling. Way up middle weight. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Terrible swim technique just because I was born. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, well, no, so I, there's a couple <laughs> of things that happened is I did the cheese rolling, which is this real famous, thing in, in the UK where you chase a cheese down a hill for no other reason than to chase the cheese. It's been going on for about 200 years. Look at it on YouTube. It's it's crazy. Steep. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's hilarious. So I did that in 2009 um, and I dislocated my shoulder, uh, ruptured the cup short actually on the inside. Uh, but my left shoulder is pretty weak. So I land up when I'm tired, I drop this elbow. So then I have a massive over rotation, which I then was exacerbated when I swam Britain because because it's a sea swim and it was coastal, I had quite big choppy waves near the shore. 
So in order not to drink salt water, I had to really over rotate to get proper air rather than trying to do the half mouth thing. It just, that was never going to work in, in the conditions. And then also to stop neck chafe, I also developed a, a, a rot- an over rotation for breathing rather than turning my neck. Cause if I turned my neck, I'd get chafed. And then I did 900 miles of that. And it's quite hard to, you know, re- relearn a new technique now. Um, so in the pool, I landed up again doing this over rotation, which put a l- lot of pressure on my lower back. My, I'm right leg, uh, right arm dominant because I'm breathing on the right and pulling on my right and my left shoulder's dropping. So I landed up getting a really tight right side of my lower back, um, which happened around day 60. And then that was quite an immediate knock on effect, effect to my hip and my glute and my longus, which is the one just above your VMO sort of just Mm -hmm. inside of your quad uh my it band got tight my hamstring got tight everything i just sort of moved around from one place to another on my right leg and yeah that was that was extremely painful for from day 60 something on which was annoying because i thought i dodged all the the dodge you know all the bullets on that but uh yeah i just had to do rehab so literally you know seven about six or seven times a day i was doing glute bridges (laughs) and the Superman pose and some rubber band stuff during each feed station on the bike uh, and a few times on the run as well, just to strengthen up some weaknesses that had happened through, yeah, just a series of bad habits, I guess. So if I recall correctly, the original plan was you're going to do 102. Yeah. Right. That's what I agreed and, with Caroline, 102, and then she's like, "Brilliant, I can deal with that." So, so that's that's where I'm going with this. How would that conversation of I'm going to do a couple more of these things go? Like, at so, what point did you yeah. say, you know what? Like, I, I want to push this just a little bit further. It's like I'm going to let the universe decide. Yeah. So, I mean, so truthfully, because obviously I had numbers already, so I there was this. In the planning for it, a brain hack for me is to presume it's a done deal already, even before I start. And I and I I put the systems in place to to hack my my thought processes into believing that that's hundred percent going to happen. And of course, it's you know very naive, but I have to do it. And one of the things was printing numbers beyond one hundred two, so printing the caps and the the race numbers. So when I was planning, I was going through online. I was like, right, well, what, what's a cool number after 102? Is I was like, well, one, two, three. That sounds kind of cool. So I'll do, I'll print numbers up to 123. I then, but I didn't really think I would go on because I, I thought, well, once I've got the record, I've got the record. And also I'm not really in the business of trying to make the record unbeatable for someone else. I, I have no interest in that. Um, I lie. I probably have. 10% interest, like it's the yin and yang, right? There's 90% 90% of me really would love someone else to have a crack at this. And I hopefully, you know, I the ego in me will be like, oh, brilliant. Well, I've obviously inspired someone, so and I'll help them do it. And but there's obviously 10% of me that goes, damn it, I'm not the best in the world anymore. Um, but generally for the most part, I I've sort of I would really love someone to have a crack at this at some point and just message me on Instagram and I'll tell you all these the 10 pistons really if you focus on those you'll you'll be halfway there um and then so i I, when i was sort of getting into the 90s and then and then coming to the end it was sort of like 
I was like, I, I was trying to work out my my emotions, and I, the best way I can explain it now is: imagine you have a job that no one else in the world gets to have, and no one else in the world has, and you have got that job currently, and it's blooming hard, and it's super difficult, but it's really rewarding. And the community that is around you and your, you know, your colleagues, I call it, and these are the, just people on social media following me and the riders and the runners and the swimmers that would come and join me. They're all amazing and you're having good banter. And there's, you know, in Britain, it's, 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 there's a, the tall, tall poppy syndrome is quite, quite big in Britain where if you sort of a bit above <laughs> your station, people cut you down. And, and that usually, you know, materializes itself in the form of banter and you know and it was great people taking the piss out of me the whole time like sure when are you gonna have a go on the front mate on the bike and you know like you know hurry up can you can you run a bit quicker i gotta get get to the pub you know and um that was that was all amazing so i sort of thought you know i've now trying to work out my feelings and it was you know do i want to give that up you know I, i was feeling okay it was tough and it was a struggle and i'm you know, right now I'm feeling like I'm, you know, on death's door with fatigue, but I didn't want to give it up. And also I didn't want to give up myself. I didn't want to be the one that says, oh, I can't do this anymore. I'm stopping because I felt that would be like me giving up. And I I wasn't happy with that. So I spoke to Caroline before and I said, right, where where can I go up to if I, if I, you know, because I, you've done a real hard job here. And I sort of threw some figures at her and we sort of said that she said, right, if you need to get to 110, I'm happy with that. But if you want to do more than that, like we, you need a really good reason to go past 110. And I said, no, I think, I think 110 I'd be happy with. So I, after 102, I knew I was always going to do 103 because I, I wanted to see what it would be like to do it, not having to do it. Because I told everyone about 102, 102 was on the poster, everything was 102, that was the record day. There was no reason to go on after that. So I, I was just interested to see whether my mind and body would actually be able to cope doing, you know, 103. So I did 103, and then I was like, right, well, now I'm just going to sort of see how it goes. So I thought, right, let me let the internet decide on 104. Um, so I put on Instagram, there was 71% of people hate me, obviously, because they said, carry on, mate, you know, smash it. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll do 104. And then I was going to get the internet to keep deciding, but I sort of thought they would just say go forever. So I thought that was an unfair thing. So I thought, right, yeah. from 105 on until 110, so I had those those potential five to do, I'm just going to flip a coin. And if the coin tells me to stop, then I didn't make the choice. The coin made the choice for me, and then I'm cool with that. So on 104, I did the coin flip to see whether 105 should happen. And yep, it was heads I go, and it was heads. Uh, and then 105. Okay, so what did you think about when when that happened? Were you like, oh, man. no, I was quite excited. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, truthfully, I have thought about this. Had the coin been tails, I may have just gone, no, nah, I don't believe the coin. I'm going to do it anyway. Or I would have done another <laughs> flip, I think. Definitely for 105. <laughs> I think definitely for one of, because one of the day 105 was a Sunday and I knew always on Sundays, it was always a good group of riders and there was a lot of regulars who would come out and join me and I knew it yeah. would be fun. And, and the, the roads are quieter because no one's going to work and things. So I think on, on, on that day, if it did said stop, I probably would have gone, no, nah, actually I'm carrying on. Um, but then on, on 105, I was now that was genuinely the one where I was like, right, 
I'm 100% because it was Monday the next day. It was also going to rain, I think. But I, I would have carried on because I wanted to t- potentially get to 110. Um, yeah, so I flipped the coin and, yeah, unfortunately it said stop. And actually, yeah, I was quite sad, to be honest, um, because it was over then and then it was real. And then I was like, oh, I've got to change the nappies now, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, it was quite emotional, <laughs> that, that last bit, really. Yeah. When did your fatigue really start to set in? Like when, yeah. when did, you know, you just like emotionally, you kind of were like sad, but physically, when did that, when did your body come over and just be like, yeah, I hate you? Um, three days after. So I f- finished on the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I was still actually feeling good. I was like, damn it, I feel good. Yeah. Things always hurt in the morning, but once I sort of was in the pool, it was fine. Um, so I did a couple of stretches and I did a slow, uh, what bike, um, on that Monday. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I feel good. Tuesday felt good again. And then Wednesday, my body just went, ah, we're finished now. Sweet. Shutdown mode. And then just, (laughs) yeah. And then I thought that would be the worst of it. I thought it would, I would feel fatigued and then I'd slowly each day by day feel better. But actually, I've, it's gone downhill still. So I feel way worse now than I did on that Wednesday, the day after. So, and I and I, I can't explain it. I'm sleeping well. I'm probably not eating as well, to be fair. Um, so yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 been tough this last week, and and my hips come back. The injury that I sort of was getting over by day ninety five or so has now fully come back, and even sitting here doing this it, i can feel it so I'm, I'm seeing my physio tomorrow see what that is all about you know talk to us a little bit about your charity yeah it it it, it sounds like you had a, a tremendous success with that yeah you've got to be stoked about yeah that. true venture was incredible you know we we, we raised a hundred thousand pounds and and bearing in mind the charity only focuses in my local area it's not a national charity it's not a worldwide yeah. charity it's you yeah. yeah so we're basically we're trying to encourage more kids to get into sport and to stay in sport and, and love sport only 39 percent of kids in north wales do sport outside of school it's crazy low you know and it's partly due, due to not enough volunteers, not enough coaches, not enough facilities, not enough equipment and facilities um, and things like that. So the foundation are now going to put, uh, I think, 50 grand of that into a pot and coaches and clubs and, you know, lo- uh, venues and that can apply for some money. And we'll base it on, you know, we'll look, go through and it'll be just a grant process. So. Yeah, super stoked about that. And I'm going to be working, volunteering basically full time. We're all volunteers. The, the foundation was set up by a guy who just put his own money in a pot. And he as he was only going to do it as a one-off thing. And when the money was gone, he was like, well, I've done my bit. And then but when I found out about that, I said, well, I'll raise money for the foundation. And then maybe together we can make this fully sustainable and roll forward. So I've been doing, you know, two or three meetings a week with them now. Uh, going to a couple of corporates locally to see if they want to get involved with various things. So, yeah, I was super, super excited. And I even got a letter from uh, Prince William during this, which was pretty cool. Just <laughs> came in the mail with a royal stamp and it was just like, well done on your 102 triathlons, <laughs> mate. You know, youth sports, super high on our agenda as well as a royal family. Um, good luck with the rest of it. And his signature is just Willie. Just it's like Willie. <laughs> I was like, that's brilliant. So I got that's that. awesome. Got- kind of a- Jack with like a link to the charity where he could like pony up or 
Yeah, I think that yeah, the royal family are have have all their own things going on. But uh, I am going to re- yeah. write a letter back to him and find out how I can actually make sure he gets it, which is half the issue because he probably gets a lot of mail in the post at Kensington Palace. But uh, right. no, it'd be good. I mean, he's the Prince of Wales, so it'd be nice to hopefully work with him on just encouraging. I don't think there'll be any financial gain to to work with them, but if I could go to events where we're encouraging more kids. Um, to do that, I don't think the charity would be able to get any funding at all. But I think it's, he's a good ambassador for youth sport, um, which is great. So hopefully we can, you know, team up there somehow. Um, Sean, I'm I, I'm blown away. I, I I was impressed before I got on this podcast with you, and um, you know, it's it it's been really cool to listen to the unique things that. Um, I wasn't aware of just by following Instagram and, and I'm sure a lot of people weren't really aware of, um, what, what's besides rest and, uh, and changing diapers, what's, what's next for you, man? You know what? I, I need is to, there, is there a yeah. project that you could do? Well, I know. Or like what, what if, else? If can, if someone can work out if there's another category to endurance records, let me know. Um, I really need to find a way of getting sort of uh, value out of shorter events. Um, so for me, if it's less than two weeks, I, I, I struggle to find the motivation to commit to it. Um, and I really would love to be able to do, you know, much shorter things. And and I think I've never done a 100-mile running race. Uh, so I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a crack at one of those. I'd love to start i want to say competing but there's not enough events of them on but competing in continuous triple deckers so that's a 7.5 mile swim a 330 something mile ride and a 75 mile run and there's a few of them around um but it'd be nice to get to a stage where i'm almost really competitive in the triples um because that's a short you know it's three days really it's not taking a lot of time out of my family life as a, as a husband and father so i think those are on my my radar i was gonna say ultraman right yeah yeah exactly yeah things like that yeah. so um yeah i'm gonna have a, i'm gonna have a think about all those i think for the next couple of years and try and get i'm a good age i'm 42 now so i'm quite a good age for for those type of things i think anything shorter and i'm i'm probably just not fast enough so yeah i think that's on my cards i was going to do a triple in three weeks time but how I feel now, it's just too quick. It's too quick, I think. Yeah, I'm still knackered. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ryan, anything else? No, I mean, the other challenge that came to mind is the one that Ken recently did. Send him to the Gobi Desert. <laughs> Go yeah, to the yeah. uh, race in Mongolia. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Again, those, I mean, there's all those long, long ones I'm, I'm definitely keen for, but whether Caroline gives me a pass for anything longer than a a week now is 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 unlikely. It was a week, wasn't yeah. it? Like okay, well, weeks yeah. weeks doable. Yeah, okay, well, that's doable. <laughs> I think Caroline will filling in the kick, black book for you. Yeah, I know. Caroline will listen to this later and go like, "What? What are you doing? What's a week long? When yeah, is this sorry? Yeah. Blame me. It's my fault." So Sean, we'll we'll have all of this information in in the link to the to the podcast. But just so that the people that are just listening um, to it, where can they find you? Where 
can they find your charity online? How can they contribute to it? Just talk about that really quick before we before we sign off here. Yeah, I mean, seanconway.com is where everything is. You know, uh, if you just search Sean Conway on Instagram, you'll 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 notice the big bearded guy. Uh, trueventure.org.uk is the charity, but also uh, on seanconway.com, there's links to to everything there. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty terrible at social media. I'm I'm glad it doesn't rule my life uh i didn't do any social media during this i got justin to do it i would write my daily blog in the car and, and send it to him um but i i endeavor to put a bit more up on social media because people i think get something from it so um yeah check me out on instagram and all that jazz i guess <laughs> awesome right on well thanks for uh joining us today man you've uh you've definitely inspired me and i'm sure you've inspired a bunch of people on the on, on the podcast today. So I, we appreciate it. Yeah. Well, it's an honor to be asked. So thank you so much guys. Nice one. Yeah, you bet. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Um, we will be back next week. Um, and we'll be doing our own normal thing here. So get to talk about that gravel race. That's right. Dang it. Yes. <laughs>